Brilliant, it's great to be back with you this morning, and uh, great to have had a shower since Creation Fest as well, that's good for all of you as well. Um, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word holy, what that makes you think, but I thought we'd start by thinking about that a little bit today, this holy God, what does it mean uh, to pursue a holy God? So what I'd like to do, just turn to the people next to you, very quickly, we won't get any feedback, just give you a minute to talk, uh, what comes to mind when you think of the word holy? What does it mean to you? Quickly with the person next to you. Go for it. All right, if I can call us back to order, I don't know how that went, I don't know what came to mind, but let's give you some ideas as what might have come to mind. You might have thought the Holy Land, you might not have thought the Holy Land, you might have thought of a holy person, saints, no, Uh, you might have thought of Holy Communion, or you might have thought Holy Cow, I haven't got a clue what he's talking about. Who never knows, all right? So all these sort of things can be associated with it. And what I want us to do this morning is to try and unpack holiness, to understand what it is to have a holy God and the implications of that on each of our lives as well. So if you look up holiness in a dictionary and try and understand what holiness means, these are the sort of definitions that you get, that it's sacred, that it's that which is consecrated or that which is pure. So there's something distinct, there's something different about this holiness, and perhaps actually that's the best way to understand it, it's simply in that word pure, that it's set apart, that it's different, it's distinct. You remember in scripture there's a number of instances where the holiness of God is revealed, so for example, uh, Moses at the burning bush, the bush is on fire but it's not burning up, so he approaches it, astounded at this bush that is, is alight but nevertheless not burning up, and this voice comes from it and it says, Moses, remove your sandals because you are on holy ground. Okay, that perception that when we meet God, there's a holiness to it that comes. Uh, moving on then, as they settle in the land, one of the things they're commanded is that the Sabbath day should be holy. You're doing well on the old participation so far, folks. And then we see throughout Scripture just that call on our lives, particularly those of us who come to know Jesus, that beautiful name. We come to know Jesus. What does that mean for us? That we should be holy ourselves, that we're called to be set apart, that we're called to be sacred, consecrated and pure in our own lives as well. And that's really because of this. Because God says, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So this holiness that we explore in God is not just something that we sing about, something we celebrate, something that we're in awe of, but it's actually something that we're called into as well, that God calls us into that holiness. And Paul goes on in the New Testament to say that he expects it of the people of God as well. This is what he writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church of God in Corinth, called to Christ Jesus, is therefore called to be holy. And I find great encouragement here. Because you notice the order that it comes in. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, to those who've met Jesus, to those for whom that work-changing life, that life-changing work of Jesus, rather, is at work. Those who are then called to be holy. As in, Christ begins that work in us, and that continuation into holiness is something that we're called to, something that he brings us into. 
We call it sanctification. We call it that transforming work of God that changes us from what we once were into being more like him, to be holy, to be consecrated, to be pure, to be set apart. And so we should be pure. I don't know how that makes you feel even as I say those words. What do you think about your own life, maybe even this last week? How pure was it? How consecrated, how sacred, how set apart with some of the conversations you had, some of the attitudes you displayed, some of the ways that you lived. And I asked myself those same questions. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? Yes. Especially depending on who's around you at the time. Yes. Quite a challenge. But again, Scripture gets, gives us great hope here as well. Exodus thirty-one, thirteen. the Lord God says this, I am the Lord who makes you holy. So what have we gained so far? Okay, what have we saw, seen? We've seen that we're called to Christ. We come to know Christ. We see that this sanctification, this transformational work of God continues drawing us into that holiness. It's what we're called to. But we also see here that he is the Lord who makes us holy. It's not that we go, oh, I need to be more holy today. I've got to work on it. I've got to work on it. Yes, that's a part of it. But it's not, thank God, it's not dependent purely on us. It's that beautiful work of partnership of the Holy Spirit transforming us and changing us to be holy. It's that work of God to sanctify us. And what I want us to do if, after that, basically that introduction, is to look at Isaiah's encounter with God in Isaiah chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to it. It'll also come up on the screen in a moment. Let me just give you a little sense of the context in which Isaiah finds himself presented with this vision of heaven. We find Isaiah in the holy temple. This is the place where the people expected to meet God, you'll know. So basically, the way that the Jews saw it, the holy temple was the place where God dwelt on earth. That was his centrality. That was where he was. It was there they expected to meet God. But this, for Isaiah the prophet, is at another level altogether. This is walking into the temple and seeing the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple. To put it in our context, that's like in the worship earlier going way beyond the band and going into something beyond that completely and seeing God. So it's almost like seeing, instead of looking through the window and seeing the train of Great Western Railways, but seeing the train of the Lord's... No, I didn't think that joke would work. Anyway, I tried it. But they, So the train of the Lord flows through. So it's almost like you're there, and Isaiah gives this impression that he's been in the temple plenty of times before. But this is different. This is glimpsing something of the depth of the glory of God. It's going to appear on the screen as well. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. 
This is actually one of the few glimpses that we get into heaven in Scripture. It's quite bizarre, actually. Heaven doesn't appear an awful lot in Scripture itself, in the Bible itself. But here, and in Revelation, we see this anthem that reveals something of who God is. They cry, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And in Revelation, where again we see a glimpse into heaven, we see that this God spans time, because his holy, holy is this Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. So this whole idea that this holiness of God is all-encompassing, it's spanning earth, it's spanning eternity, and our call is to join him in that, to be pure, to be set apart, to be holy. So how did this look for Isaiah? Well, above him were the seraphim, it said. The seraphim flew around, and we see that they're unique to this passage, although there's other winged creatures also revealed in Revelation. In Revelation, They're also crying, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the response of those seraphim is this. In the presence of this holy God, we notice that they cover their faces. They cannot look on this awesome God. They cover their faces as a result. But also they cover their feet. It's a sign of humility, apparently, in in that culture. They cover their feet. So they're awestruck by this God. They cannot look at him, but they also come from a place of humility. Folks, there's clues there as to how we should approach this holy God. That awesomeness of God, to be reminded of who he is and the wonder of who he is. And to come from a place of complete humility. I was reminded last week at Creation Fest on a number of occasions, you know, this is the God, this holy God who reveals himself to Isaiah like this. is the same God who knows us this day. And if you're not yet in that position, longs to know you. Longs to bring that transforming work of Jesus and the Spirit into our lives. Amazing is that. And they cry this anthem, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It echoes throughout history. And the response of Isaiah is so telling. Because actually in the awesomeness of God, in what the seraph even have to cover their faces, his reply is this, woe is me. Woe is me. Absolute fear, really. Woe is me. You see, actually, the place of glory is also a place of fear. And it's a really hard balance for us to strike in it. On one hand, we want Jesus to be our friend. We sing about Jesus, our friend, our saviour. But don't we also want him to be awesome God? Don't we also need him to be awesome God if we're really going to have that awesome holiness, that fear, that wonder, that awe as to who God is? I wonder how we're doing this morning. Where's Jesus? Is he our mate or is he our master? Do we find him in that position where we're all pally and when we mess up, well, it's only our pal we're messing up with? Or is it an awesome God? He loved us so much that our pal had to die and sacrifice his life that we would know him again. That's what holiness costs. That's what holiness looks like. This place of glory is a place of fear. And Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a person of unclean lips, and I've seen the God, I've seen, our God. I've seen Father God, he's seen the Heavenly Father. You'll be aware as well that the Israelites had this fear that if they saw God, they knew that they were going to die. I always laugh at that a little bit, because I'm sure if you see God, well, you're dead, aren't you? So actually, you're there either way, but whatever. They have this idea that if they see God, they're going to die. So this absolute vision of God, he's like, that's it, I'm done. And as he sees God, his very first awareness is of his sin, isn't it? It's of how he's fallen short of the glory of God. 
how he's failed, how he's not holy. I became a Christian when I was 13 years old in a, in a mission hall. Basically, the chap at the front preached. Every word he said had my name on the end of it, I'm sure. So aware, not just of the glory of God, but also of my own sinfulness, my own need of him. That's what holiness does to us. And you know, the most amazing thing about this is that it causes us to think afresh about how we see and approach God. It causes us to think, you know, do we rush into God's presence? You know, I even think of my own quiet time this morning, my own devotions this morning. Did I just sit there and go, well, God, let's read your word? Did I have that perspective of this is holy ground? Take off your shoes, John, get in there. This is holy ground as we come to meet with the Lord. That word we had earlier, you know, that danger that we're busy doing God's work but not spending time with him. It takes time. A conversation Moses had at that burning bush was not a quick fix. It took time, it took preparation, he removed his shoes. That humbleness that came. How do we approach this holy God? Do we waltz into his presence? Or do we come before him aware of our own failings, wanting to deal with them first that we can then know the fullness of who he is? Because actually this will change the way we live our lives. If we understand what it is to follow this holy God, if we long for that holiness in our own lives, then the way we live life will be different. The way we deal with people will be different. It'll give us a perspective. But also it gives us a perspective on a God who's big enough to intervene in our lives. I was so struck last week at Creation Fest. Amazing worship. We're singing these songs Reminded of 2012 when my wife was ill with breast cancer and you're singing songs about the faithfulness of God. You're singing songs about how God is so faithful and will never leave us. It was a struggle for me. To, oh, sometimes those lines, we just, we just sing them out. But actually my reality at that time was actually God was not feeling particularly close. It was a terrible time in my life. You know, sometimes we need to put ourselves in that place of actually reminding ourselves of what we sing. You know, we can just, just do it verbatim. We need to remember What are we singing? Who are we worshipping? How do we prepare ourselves as we come for worship? How do we have that perspective of a God that's big enough that when we struggle and we go, God, I don't know where you were when my wife's ill, he says, well, don't worry, because there's plenty of psalms in the book that I put in there about people who were in exactly the same situation. I'll tell you, they were such a strength to me in those times. There's psalms that say, God, where were you at that time? And God says, well, that's a good idea. Let's put that in the book. Great propaganda, isn't it? He does it. Because the reality of Scripture, the reality of this holy God, is that he's big enough. But do we see him as big enough? Do we give him that big enough perspective? Are we happy to live with the mystery of this holy God and recognize the challenges that that brings us as well? Because the more we know that holy God, then the more aware we are of our our failings. You know, Isaiah sees this God and just goes, Lord, I have unclean lips. More than that, and from a people of unclean lips. Lord, we all deserve to be wiped out. None of us are worthy of what you're calling us to. But notice what happens. In this passage, he lifts out of that fear. The seraphim come, and they bring a coal from that altar, that place of holiness. They bring that coal of altar, and they touch his lips. It's a place of purification. They touch his lips, and that guilt is taken away. 
Folks, it's so important that we have this straight in our own minds that yes, we have a holy God, but we also have a holy God who longs to draw us into that holiness. Not to repel us from that holiness, but to draw us into that holiness. A God who is desperate to see us in that right place before him. So desperate that he sent Jesus. So desperate that in this situation, pre-Christ, he sends his seraphim with that holy coal to touch Isaiah's lips to bring that transformation. Just a few chapters earlier in Isaiah 1.18, one of my favourite verses in Scripture, the Lord says this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Just take that verse in. Look at that. That's the heart of God. Come now, let us reason together. Not come to me, you little sinner. Come to me with all that sin. Come and let us reason together. Let's work this out because my heart is so for you. This holy God is so for us and longs that we would experience that same level of holiness. And that can only drive us to reach out to other people, can't it? That God, he says, come let us reason together. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Because God has to recognize our sin. By the very fact of his holiness, he has to recognize our sin. He reaches out to us and cries out to us to be transformed. To deal with that sin. Folks, if you're here this morning and there is ongoing sin in your life which is not dealt with, can I encourage you to deal with it today? There's a prayer team over here at the end. Deal with it. Don't run from that holiness of God, but embrace it, knowing the Father heart of God is that he reaches out to you. Isaiah's in a place of fear, but God longs to draw near. We serve a God who longs to be in relationship with us, but indeed with every person on this planet. He longs to reach out to us, whether we've ever known him before, whether we've not known him before. He longs to reach out and set us free from the sin that takes hold of us. And you know, once he does that, once our lives are transformed, once we know the wonder of who he is, then everything changes. A purified Isaiah finds himself instead in that place of calling. He goes from fear through that sense of awe to that sense of calling. God says, who can I send? He's desperate, desperate for it. You know that sort of kid in your class at school who's like, pick me, pick me. Maybe something like this. Oh, pick me. Oh, I know, I know, me, me. (sighs) Okay, fine. I'm not sure Isaiah's ever been compared to donkey, but there you go, that's where we are this morning. So he's like, Jesus, come on, I'm up for this. God, pick me, pick me, pick me. I've got to be part of this. Why? Because he knows who God is. There's no choice. If we know who God is, there's no choice. We have to serve. We have to go out. We have to say, pick me. God says, whom shall I send? Isaiah has his pick me moment. His only response is choose me. And notice the transformation that's come through that cleansing. He's gone from that, woe is me. He's cleansed. And he says, come on, pick me, I can do it. Because that's what this faith is all about in so many ways. Each day, woe is me, the Lord God, how awesome you are. He brings that transforming forgiveness into our lives once again. And then we say, come on, I can do this. Pick me, pick me. Maybe some of us this morning need to hear that again, you know. God's whole methodology is to pick us up again. He's just looking for people when he says, who will I send? Send me. Send me. Isaiah changes from a person of fear to a person of courage. 
person who can do what God is tasking him to do. I don't know what you're facing in your life that you're looking at and thinking, God, how on earth can I do that? Are you relying on God's strength or are you relying on your own strength? Are you crying out to God that his presence will be with you in every inch of your day, every step of your day, everything that you face, every decision that's on your mind even as I'm speaking this morning, every situation where you think, I need courage to make decisions, then we need to seek the holiness of God. We need to seek him and know him. And you know, this holiness is actually not something that's remote. It's something that should penetrate every part of our day. The great preacher Spurgeon put it this way, and and take time to read this through and look at this and, and understand it. It's an amazing quote. Spurgeon said this, Do I not make all things holy to God? Oh, that today my clothes may be vestments, that's holy garments, my meals sacraments, my house a temple, my table an altar, my speech incense, and myself a priest. Lord, fulfill thy promise and let nothing be to me common or unclean. Give you a minute just to take that in. See, what Spurgeon shows us is that understanding this holiness is one thing, but loving it is another. Loving that sense of being consecrated, of being separate, of being distinct, of being set apart, of being pure. And longing that that would come into every meal in your household. I'd love that in every meal in my household. I can tell you some of them are chaos, so it would be wonderful to have that sense of purity and holiness. But can you imagine if our households were like that, that people walked into our houses, into our flats, into wherever we find ourselves living, and God's presence is there because it's dedicated to him, that holiness, that nothing in us would be common or unclean, that people would see that living difference in us. I had the privilege last week with Creation Fest of going into Bodmin Town Square. I'm the pastor in Bodmin, for those of you who don't know that, and uh, we had the privilege of um, swinging, if you saw those. Those were the over-energetic American teenagers who danced their way up and down the aisles. And uh, the New Divide, a rock band, came and played at Mount Folly in Bodmin last week for us on Wednesday afternoon. There's something both uh, awe-inspiring and irritating about overconfident American teenagers, I found. (laughs) It was slightly irritating in that they were, hi, everybody, and it was just wonderful. But the way they drew people in was just awe-inspiring. And as they danced around Mount Folly and and drew all these people in, they danced up to these young men and go, would you like to dance? And they go, yes. (laughs) And then they moved it on. They're like, would you like us to pray? And they're like, yes, you're pretty. You can do anything. You know, it's just awesome evangelism. I love it. But then on Thursday, I was at, uh, Friday rather, I was at Creation Fest. I've been in the youth tent for the week working there. And uh, at the um, beginning of the day, this guy comes up to me. And one of the chaps who ran the mission on the Wednesday said, oh, look, you must meet this chap. And this was one of the chaps that we'd spoken to, I'd spoken to on Wednesday afternoon. And he was at Creation Fest on Friday. And I said to him, you know, that's, that's awesome. I'm so glad you could come. It's brilliant. He said, I loved what happened on Wednesday. It was brilliant. And I thought I had to come and see it. So my mate was going to come with me. Uh, but he let me down through a sickie this morning, so I paid for the taxi myself, £14 from Bodmin to Royal Cornwall Showground. And you might think, well, 14 quid for a taxi, but then he says, because I've got friends I need to get away from, and he pulls up his arm, and there's needle holes all the way down his arm. It's a guy that we reached out to on Wednesday in Bodmin. 
And that same day, I met another chap, and uh, again, I'd seen him there on Wednesday, and I said, oh, how are you doing? That's great you could come. And he said, I came because, I came yesterday as well, actually, he says. And I said, he said, I've never met such lovely people as I've met these last two days. And he said, I've never felt so light in my soul. I just, I just feel something special here. And I said, it sounds to me like God may be on your case, you know. And he goes, yeah, it may be. So I've asked him to come to Bodmin at four o'clock this afternoon and share some of that, whether he will or not, I don't know. It's quite a step, in it? But amazing. How amazing would that be if he joined our congregation this afternoon and, and shared something of that? You know? We pray for those two guys? Pray for what's going on in their lives. Wouldn't it be awesome if everything we did with that slightly overconfident American teenager sort of effect to it? Do you know what I mean? That actually people would come and say, I've never met such a lovely group of people. That they'd roll up their sleeves and say, because I need something. The holiness of God compels us, doesn't it? Pick me, pick me. But we have to invest in that. We have to give ourselves space to know that. Going back to that word earlier, what are we going to do this week that will be different, that will actually give God priority, that we will spend time with him? That we're not just understanding his holiness, but we're loving it, we're living in it. That takes us from fear to clear. Or as I put it earlier, where are we at? Is God our mate, or is he our master? Do we know him as our pal, or do we know him as that holy, awesome God? Because that anthem goes right from the beginning of time to the end of time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He was and is and is to come. There's a challenge I want to leave you this morning, but not just this morning, but to take into the rest of our lives really is, how do we know the holiness of God? How much do we know of the holiness of God? And I guess it's a word especially for those of us We've known him for a long time. Last week I spent, celebrated 33 years since becoming a Christian. How much time do I really invest in going back to again, knowing that holiness of God, of going back to the temple, of listening for that cry of holy, 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 so I would really know him, that I would really glimpse him, that I'd really understand him, and my only response would be, here I am, send me.